Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Let's Sorry, um Let's Talk TV Live. My tongue got stuck behind my teeth. Um I am really excited. We have had almost 6,000 listens in the first month that we have been on the air. I am gratified and grateful to everyone who's been listening in and spreading the word about Let's Talk TV Live. Um, and you can listen to archived shows uh, on the Blog Talk Radio website. You can also listen to them on my website, which is letstalktv.barbarabarnett.com. And you can also subscribe to the shows, archive shows, through iTunes. Um, and especially I want to have you take note of last week's show, which was with Jane Espenson for the entire hour. If you haven't, if you're not one of the almost 2,000 people who have listened to that broadcast, please make sure you have a listen when you have a chance. And also big news, uh, Let's Talk TV has launched an app. It is now available for Android, and it will be available uh, in the next week or so um, on iTunes for iPhone and a special app just for iPad as well. And you can get that for Android at play.google.com and just uh, do a search for Let's Talk TV and it will come up. And if you're in the chat room, hi. Be sure to call in if you want to um, and ask a question, join in the conversation. A couple of quick announcements. Next week, I will have for the first half hour, Mark Zikree, who is... Um, who has written for such great shows as Babylon 5 and Star Trek Next Generation. And he is going to be on to talk about his new project that was funded with a Kickstarter, and it's called Space Command. And one of the people that's – a couple of the people who are in it include uh, Dean Hagland, who played Ringo Langley on The X-Files, who I interviewed last week as well, and uh, the woman who played Delenn. On uh, on Babylon Five, so that's that'll be next week. Um, I'm still trying to confirm, but I also think I'm going to have Jesse Schram from Falling Skies, Last Resort, and Once Upon a Time um, on the show with me if she can make the timing work out. She's got a very crazy production schedule. On December second, I will have hopefully, and again, we're still trying to firm up the date. Gareth Hughes of the Once Upon a Fan site in the UK, who wasn't able to join us the last time he was scheduled, and December December 2nd will be an all Once Upon a Time special. And then on December 10th, Todd Kessler, who was on The Voice, not on anymore, he was voted off, but he's a wonderful singer and a good friend of mine, so he's going to stop by. Um, as I said, I had a great conversation with Dean Hagland, and we talked the X-Files, we talked about the declining years of the series. We talked about a new movie possibility, X-Files 3. Uh, I know some of you had asked me to ask him about that, and so stay tuned to uh, read that, both on Blog Critics or on my Let's Talk TV site. Um, my other home, of course, is blogcritics.org, where I serve as co-executive editor and senior TV and film editor. Uh, I also want to let you know that I'll be interviewing on Friday uh, Robert Carlyle, some of you know, uh, who stars in Once Upon a Time, has a new movie coming out. It's opening in New York um, on November 30th and the week after that in Los Angeles and then opening wider after that. I was privileged to be able to see his film um, and see it in a screener, so I was able to watch it a couple times and I'm going to be writing an extensive review of it. But I will also be interviewing the movie's director, Marshall Louie, on Friday, and that will appear next week on Blog Critics and on Let's Talk TV as well. Um, and if you are participating in this month's NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month, you should be writing your novel and not listening. No, just kidding. Um, take some time off, listen to the show, and then go back to writing. I certainly am. I am now at almost 60,000 words with my novel, so I'm way past getting through the NaNoWriMo. I am going to bring on the air now a very good friend of mine and a fellow blogger. She writes for blog critics and in other places, and she writes right now. She's doing a lot of work on Supernatural, 
um, writing a regular column. So definitely check it out. Let's uh, introduce Jerry Weaver. Jerry, are you there? I am here. Hello, Barbara. Hi, how are you? I'm good. We had such a good time last time. I had to have you back. Well, I really enjoyed myself, so I'm happy to be here. Good. Green room treating you well the last 15 minutes or so? Oh, my goodness, the bubbly in here. It's just ridiculous. Isn't it great? I tried to get the piper, but, you know, it, it, it's it's still good. It's still good champagne. I, I couldn't pop for the, literally or figuratively, pop for the uh, $75 a bottle piper. But no, it, Barbara, it turns out I'm just not that fussy. Okay, well, that's that's good. That's good. And the roses, I thought were nice. The roses were gorgeous. Good, good. I hope that red was your color. And yeah, I've decided next next time I will be dressing up a little bit, you know, to match the tone of the green room in here. You know, I'm wearing an eating gown. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely underdressed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sitting here in my sweater because it's really cold in my studio. Um, anyway, tonight we're going to talk about. Uh, Various TV shows that we both watch. We're going to talk about Revolution, which we're both watching. We're going to talk about Elementary, because Jerry has begun to watch that. So we'll talk about that. I'll talk a little bit about Last Resort. She's going to talk a little bit about Supernatural, because I am still trying to catch up with that. And we'll talk about Once Upon a Time. Betsy, I know you had some questions in the chat room, and I will address those. And then once we're through that, we thought it would be kind of fun to go back and review our favorite wounded heroes on television. I realized watching Once Upon a Time, what really draws me to Rumpelstiltskin, who is my favorite character, as you know. Uh, Jerry, you know that, yes? (laughs) I do. What draws me to him is his underlying woundedness. He is such a classic Byronic character to me, um, smart, isolated, not such a nice guy, uh, sense of humor, I'm not sure, but he can be very off-putting, um, but there's an underlying humanity there that just is like catnip to me, and he had that in uh, in Stargate Universe, too, so anyway, we'll talk about that afterwards, and Jerry, I, I think you have your list of wounded heroes, too, and we'll compare lists. So we haven't ahead of time. Anyway, so let's start with Revolution. So what do you think? Well, um, this last, I think that the last episode really shows why they're taking Revolution away for four months, because it just needs some retooling. So the last episode was the Children's Crusade. Um, And once again, what we have is Charlie getting distracted from the main quest, which is to find her brother and rescue him by a side quest. And while that doesn't have to necessarily be um, something that sort of dilutes the main thrust forward, I think they tend to on Revolution because they just really haven't solidified where their real story is yet. So what we had last week was uh, Charlie deciding that she had to go and rescue a boy who reminds her of herself and deciding that that is going to be a higher priority for her than rescuing Danny. And then um, going undercover for to infiltrate the militia boat who, where they've been uh, snatching children and deciding to indoctrinate them into the militia by force. So she volunteers to go and do that. And, of course, things go awry and she gets captured. And, and, uh, and then Miles decides that he'll go rescue her, which he very easily does. So you're left thinking, well, why wasn't that the plan in the first place? Because it really you know, it wasn't very difficult for him to actually overpower and rescue Charlie. So I thought... There's just too many little side quests going on here, and not enough thought to the main quest. Yeah. Did you watch it this week? Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I did. Um, I, I had it on my DVR. I don't know why. Monday night, I can't remember why I couldn't watch it, but I couldn't watch it for some reason. And I DVR'd it, and um, I got about halfway through it, and I said I wasn't really paying attention to it. And that's never a good sign. No. I love dystopias. I am huge fan of dystopic science fiction. Give me Philip K. Dick. Give me anybody who writes dystopic or shows dystopic. I was a fan of Jericho, for heaven's sake. <laughs> uh, you know, I love dystopias. And I was really excited about Revolution. 
And what I'm seeing is something that's trying to be a CW show almost because of the emphasis on Charlie, teenage Charlie, and how she's able to wrap her Uncle Miles around her little finger. And I think that might be um, sort of left of when you say it's a CW show. And I'm thinking, I know they've got a, a real reputation as kind of a teenage show. But actually, they've got Supernatural as one of their kind of big ones, which is actually not a teenage show, really. But I think what Eric Kripke is, is that when he cast Supernatural, he thought that he was going to have two young actors that were going to be the vehicle for him to tell urban ghost stories. And what he realized three episodes in is that he was going to be telling urban ghost stories as a vehicle to explore the two young actors because he cast it so well. And I and think I, if he just took it for granted that he had that, I think, in Revolution, and he doesn't. See, I think that is always the key, something really with people, is that when you think you maybe have a procedural, and all of a sudden you realize that it's not really a procedural so much as it is a, a great character study. Exactly. And, and I think what we're really seeing is where is the character study right now in revolution, and it's just not with the person that is, may be able to make it work. I'm not even sure Miles can make it work, but I yeah. know Charlie. <laughs> but Charlie can't make it work. I, I'm not interested in. She's not. She's too. Uh, and um, I have a bit of a. And I really like Miles' story. I think he's an interesting character. But yeah, I can totally understand why they're going to take that off the air till March. Um, yeah. I do think they've got planned some um, filler stuff, you know, some Internet stuff, maybe some webisodes and things in the interim to kind of keep people's interest. But I would, I have to say that is of the shows that I have, de- I decided to really watch and write about this year, I have to say that's the one that I'm really the most disappointed in. Yeah, I'm not even sure how long I'm going to stick with it, to be honest, although I will give it a chance when they come back and retool. But it's definitely not holding me. I'm not in love with it. I'm not, I don't have to know about any character. And I'm getting less and less interested in the whole Danny quest every week. Yeah, yeah, it seems very one note. I'm I'm interested in, you know, how the little doohickeys uh, figure into the power failure. But that's not enough to keep me. Um, I need my character. And, and you know, how we're talking about wounded heroes. And I see they're trying to, you know, Miles is supposed to be one of those kind of wounded, Byronic heroes. There's yeah. no, but there's not enough. I mean, it's funny because he's in quite a bit of it, and it's interesting if you contrast like Once Upon a Time, and you have the character of Rumpelstiltskin, who's actually in it relatively little compared to Miles being in Revolution, but you get his character like right away, and you just really, you know, there's there's the character, or there's one of the characters. Um, well, I- you know, I think that um, Robert Carlyle is a big part of that. I mean, perfect casting is perfect. Yeah, and he, he is famous for taking a character that may be minimally written and just uh, – he's famous for improvisation. I, I think he has mm-hmm. to do with the characters he creates, as the writers do in many ways. And I've heard that confirmed by other writers or by writers of some of his stuff that, that he just – he really does – take that character quite seriously and commits to it. So, yeah, I do think that that's a lot, lot Robert Carlyle. I mean, I like Billy Burke a lot, um, but he's not Carlyle. Um, so let's talk about, let's go on to, so, so revolution is sort of like a, we're not thumbs up, thumbs down, we're sort of thumbs horizontal, I suppose. Wait, see. I would just like to know what happens if they come back and they give us uh, Billy Burke, Elizabeth Mitchell, David Lyons, Giancarlo Esposito, and Colm Fiore, who just got um, introduced as a wonderful Canadian actor. And I thought, if the emphasis shifts to that group, could it be better? Possibly. Yeah, I think it could be. I think it absolutely could be. I think they need to take the emphasis off the teenagers and make it a grown-up show. Yeah, put it back to the grown-ups. So you just started watching Elementary, I hear tell. I did. Under you know, I had so many recommendations, and I finally thought, okay, get over the fact that it's not the one from the BBC. <laughs> there can be more than one good version, so I thought I will take a look at it. And I saw, unfortunately, I I, I saw the the premiere, and then the next one I could see was the um, last one, or maybe not the last one, but it was the um, the one at the hospital. I'm not uh, sure if they've had one more play since then. 
Right. That was a couple of weeks ago, I think. This one was not at the hospital. It was a, yeah. Um, So are you liking it? I am very much. And, of course, I think it's Johnny Lee Miller, although I will say Lucy New is also very good. I'm quite interested in Watson. But I think he's just taking that character and making me care. I'm not entirely sure. I think he's Sherlock Holmes. But I don't, at this point, care as much as I thought that I would care because whoever he is, I'm really interested in him. I mean, here, you know, there's there's certainly tones of house in there, a few tones, uh, but with the British accent, not with the American accent. <laughs> um, and I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter Blake um, and Liz Friedman are both writing for Elementary. Um, they have both. Did you know that that they? No, I did not know that. They went over to Elementary. And uh, Peter wrote an episode. I think he wrote the hospital episode that you wrote, you saw. I am oh, well, it was a very good one. And in fact, I am mid-interview with Rob Doherty, the showrunner. I um, connected with him at, through Peter, which was lovely of Peter to make that connection. And um, I sent him some interview questions, and I'm hoping to get them back in the next day or two. And then we're going to do a phone art later this season. Um, I was promised because he couldn't do a phone interview right now. We, we've decided, you know, I said, okay, let's do a, an email interview. So I'm waiting to hear back and get my answers to like 20 questions I asked him. He will, he will answer most of them. <laughs> um, but I'm really liking it. I love Johnny Lee Miller. Um, I, he was in train spot. He talked about six degrees of separation. He's like one degree of separation from Carlisle. Of course, he the co-star of Train Spotting, and then he did another movie with Carlisle a couple of years later called Plunkett and McLean. If you are in the in the chat room and you've seen that movie, say hi or say I saw that. If you didn't, you should see it. It's really fun, silly, silly movie with Alan Cumming. Um, oh gosh, there's just it's a great cast. So anyway, but um, Johnny Lee Miller is great. I think again, what elevates this show from a typical CBS police procedural is the fact that um, it's really a character study. You know, it's not taking a Holmes case and just doing the case. They're trying to get... They're peeling back layers on each other, as far as I could gather from the two that I saw. And I really love that you've got that concurrent two investigations going. Yeah, and you know what? They're you know it's like they're they're trying to solve puzzles, right? Because he needs to have the puzzles. Because if he doesn't have the distraction of the puzzles, his mind is you know he he needs that. But I think the big puzzle of the entire series is him, and and we're exploring him through Watson because she finds him intriguing, and he's finding her intriguing. So you have this dual unveiling of all of these layers of these two characters. And I think Holmes is so often portrayed as this aloof, unemotional puzzle, you know, puzzle solve, you know, riddle solver that we don't always get to see, well, huh, what do, what's going on underneath there? And in this last episode, um, I won't spoil it for you, Jerry, too much. I'm actually good with that. (laughs) Good, good. Good point if you want. We we find out uh, as Watson contacts somebody who knows Holmes from the time where he was uh, struggling with his uh, heroin addiction, um, that while he was at his lowest point, he was calling out a name. And what was that name? Irene Adler. So whatever it was that happened to him in London that caused him to melt down had to do with Irene. So um, that'll be interesting, and I think they're going to explore that in the next episode. So that should be kind of interesting. Um, I want to say, before we go to Supernatural, I want to say a really quick word about the other show that I'm watching, which I know you're not, is um, Last Resort on ABC Thursday nights on at 7 Central Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, and Elementary is on at 9 Eastern, uh, sorry, 10 Eastern Time. Um, Last Resort is really ratcheting up. It is tense, insane tense. Um, 
near future speculative fiction show. It is brilliant. Um, I really, Sean Ryan, um, who is a great showrunner, is doing it. Stars with stars Andre Brower, um, and Scott Biedman and Jesse Schramm, who is going to be on the show, I think, next week, plays a very significant role in it, and it's great. I want everybody who's not watching it, watch it, watch it, watch it. The, the ratings are going up, but it needs more of an audience. So um, please do check it out if you're not already watching it. Um, so let's talk about Supernatural. I'm going to turn it over to you for that because, Jerry, you've sent me this list, and my daughter said to me this morning, so, Mom, did you watch all those Supernatural episodes I sent you? And <laughs> Uh, I didn't get your email with all the super. I had to rely on this friend of mine named Jerry Weaver <laughs> to send the episodes. So now I have your list and her list. And I promise her and I will promise you that over Thanksgiving weekend, I will get through them. Okay. And you know what? If there's something that shows up on both lists, you know it's a must-see. You know, I'm going to compare them. So tell us what's going on. How many episodes in are we in the new season? We are at number six. Um, Supernatural started a little bit later than some of the other shows. The CW's strategy was to try and get their couple of new shows, Arrow. Um, and they have a new show, Arrow, that they launched, and they also moved Supernatural, which is a most unusual move. They, they took it off Friday, where a previous um, network had, had sent it, which is pretty well the graveyard. It's where you go to die. And Supernatural held its audience. It didn't grow it, but it held it. And so he decided that he believed in the show, they moved it back to Wednesdays at 9 and gave it their, their tentpole show that they're really hoping is going to be hit for them this year, Arrow, as the lead-in. And it's working out for them very well. And Arrow is, in fact, and for the CW, which, of course, you have to think which network it is. It is their big hit. And it is helping Supernatural's numbers, which is actually growing this year. So they, they decided that they, they launched in um, October rather than September. So we're a little bit um, not as far along in the season as some of the shows are. So this last week, we have Southern Comfort, Comfort, which is written by Adam Glass. And for me, he's a very hit-and-miss writer on Supernatural. He's written a couple that I really like, but he's written more than I'm a little iffy on. So I wasn't quite sure what I would think about this one, and um, I'm a little iffy on it. <laughs> and it, it wasn't terrible, but um, there are some, this is a very controversial season this year in Supernatural. And one of the reasons is um, some of the motivations that they've given one of the lead characters, Sam, and they've done a little bit of a reset because they have a new showrunner this year, Jeremy Carver, who comes, he was a supernatural writer for three years, and then he went over to showrun Being Human, the American version. He's now come back to supernatural to showrun, and he's done a little bit of a reset. And I think that the jury's a little bit out on how the audience is reacting. Some people love it, and some people are having a little trouble with it. Um, I think you can see it all in Southern Comfort, because <laughs> in Southern Comfort, the whole point of the uh, the show really is the, the the case of the week is really just a heavy-handed reason for the boys to argue. And generally, people do not mind when the boys argue because the whole point really is the relationship between Sam and Dean. This one, um, I felt like they made some compromises in why they were arguing. And it really meant there was no forward movement on it. And there is kind of a difficult place for a lot of fans. Forward movement, not a bad thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did see a, a Supernatural episode, I have to say, a couple weeks ago. I think one of the stations was running a marathon, so I happened hey. to tune in, and I happened to tune into the episode. It was a really meta episode. It was so bizarre. Well, Ben because... Edlin writes. Sorry? So Ben Edlin writes those. Ah, okay. Where, where Sam and Dean were at a Supernatural convention. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. One thing that people love about Supernatural is that um, it has so many different tones to it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they really do a lot of is talking to the fans. I mean, they have wonderful meta writing in the show. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, this is really kind of surreal. <laughs> we actually have one, and I won't spoil it for you. In case you end up deciding that you're actually going to follow through because you're interested in all the, you know, the seasons. But they actually had one where Sam and Dean... Um, are pushed into an alternate universe, which they give a reason for, and they actually land on the set of Supernatural, where Sam and Dean, or sorry, Jared and Jensen have actually disappeared, and Sam and Dean are being mistaken for Jared and Jensen, who are acting as Sam and Dean on the show. And it was, 
a hoot. Wow. That sounds like really fun. I, I am I promise, okay, you've heard it all here, guys. I promise I am gonna get caught up with supernatural. I won't get caught up. I will get I will watch enough shows to either get hooked on it or not get hooked on it. And if I don't get hooked on it, we've got Gary to keep us up to date on supernatural as well. <laughs> I was gonna tell you for the one the list that I sent you, I would say please keep on going through it until you get to faith. And I think if faith doesn't catch you, it might be an indication that the show just isn't going to be your cup of tea. But if faith intrigues you, then it only goes on from there and gets deeper and more layered and more complex. Okay. You know, it's interesting. People are asking me all the time um, if I were going to recommend a house episode to people to get started on. What would that episode be? And I always tell people, well, you have to watch the pilot. Because if you don't watch the pilot, you just the pilot, the pilot, and the second episode. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the second episode. Um, I lose my house fan club merit badge. I think. Well, I'm not going to take it from you because I've forgotten too. Occam's. Um, Occam's razor. Occam's razor. I, I was Occam's razor, but it was about Occam's razor, and yes. Um, and if you watch those two shows and a couple of others, then you're, and you're not hooked, then you're hopeless <laughs> and you won't get hooked. Um, but I want to turn to Once Upon a Time because I on to talk about Once Upon a Time. Last night's episode was really good and it actually surprised me how much I liked it because, um, I don't that don't have uh, either Mr. Gold or Rumpelstiltskin, and this had one scene with Mr. Gold. Rumpelstiltskin wasn't in the story at all, and I really liked it. I found it was about Red Riding Hood, who is her own big bad wolf, and it is the first full moon in Storybrook since the curse has been broken. And what I found very intriguing was that how her story had some really interesting parallels with Rumble's story, and even though he wasn't in it, um, because Belle, who is Rump, the, the love of Rumble's life, the love of Mr. Gold's life, um has befriended Ruby, who is also Little Red Riding Hood, or not so Little Red Riding Hood, Red Riding Hood, Red. And she sees in Red, who sees herself as this unlovable monster. She sees herself as this vicious wolf who's going to devour anyone who comes into her orbit, especially on uh, the full moon. And Belle is an influence, a redemptive uh, character in her life who no, who has seen her humanity and says, you're not a monster. I know who you are inside, which really parallels how she reacted and related to Rumpelstiltskin in the first season in the episode Skin Deep, which is still, I think, one of probably the two best episodes in the series so far. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. The other thing I really liked a lot was um, – this idea that Red was able to control her instincts as she-wolf by becoming one with the wolf. So she becomes one with the wolf. She's able to control that instinct within herself, kind of ride along for the journey, and therefore be able to control the more violent aspect of that, which I thought was really cool and beautifully paralleled um, Henry, um, who is Emma's son and Regina's stepson and the grandson of Snow and Charming, um, so he's Henry, and, and he's been having these terrible nightmares, and he wakes up from one of them with his hand burned, because the, the nightmare is, uh, there's all these things all around, but he actually has a has a burn on his hand. And at the same time, back in fairy tale land, in modern fairy tale land, and sort of like the wastelands of it, you have Sleeping Beauty, 
also having the same kind of dream. She doesn't get burned, but she's having the same kind of dream. So what happens is, is this, this is where I think it's really interesting, uh, parallel with Fred's story, is Mr. Gold, who's Rumpelstiltskin, gives Henry an amulet, which he puts a potion in. And Henry's supposed to wear this amulet when he sleeps. And that will allow him to control, not to take the nightmare away, but to coexist with it and to control it that way. And he does. And I have a thought about actually what was in the amulet, the potion that Mr. Gold put in. I put that in my review. And I I want to ask you guys in the chat room what you think about my theory. But um, Henry does it. He falls asleep. And he's in the dream. And he sees Sleeping Beauty, who's having the dream simultaneously. And he's telling her not to be afraid, not to be afraid, just to sort of go with it, you know, to go with this journey and she'll be okay. And I thought that was really cool because he's becoming one with this dream state, just like Red was able to control this dark part of herself by becoming one with the journey. And I thought that was a really interesting and and actually fairly subtle little thread that ran throughout this episode. So do you guys want to know what I think was in uh, the, the amulet? Jerry, do you want to know? You didn't see the episode yet. but I did, Rick, but you certainly intrigued me. I think I think there was a placebo in there. I don't think there was anything in there. I think Mr. Gold is not using magic with this, but is has given Henry a gift of... So Dumbo Seven. Hmm? Dumbo Seven? Yeah. Exactly. Dumbo's feather. Exactly. That's what I think that Mr. Gold gave to Henry. What do you think, guys? Betsy, what do you think? She's typing. Oh, she's gonna, I'm going to see if she agrees with me. <laughs> and, and she's got some other questions. So I'm going to go to what she's asked. She, she wrote me a tome here. <laughs> um, she's, she's actually, what Betsy's wondering is, What's going on with Rumbell, with the Rumpelstiltskin Bell storyline? Because we've seen only little bits and pieces of it this season. And on again, they're off again. She's mad at him. She can't stand him. She doesn't want to see him, but she's drawn to him. But we've only seen little bits and pieces. And she's, you know, she's wondering if, you know, why they're not drawing more into the storyline. And I think Part of it, there, there are a couple thoughts I have about that. Um, one is the Rumble Bell storyline is a very important storyline, but it's not the backbone of the show. We may want it to be. <laughs> we may love it when it is, but it's not the backbone of the series. The backbone of the series is Snow White, Charming, Emma, Henry, then Regina and um, and Rumpel and Belle and then all the other characters as well. And I agree with you, Betsy, very much that I think there are a lot and lot of um, threads. You know, they're they're really adding a lot of characters, and I think they're almost getting overpopulated. Um, oh, and she says. That would be really lovely. And Barbara, I agree that it was a gift, but I thought it was a gift even without knowing it was a placebo. It absolutely was a gift. There was no deal involved, and Rumpel always makes deals. Um, I love the idea that you take control instead of being the victim. Ah, exactly. This is it. And that's one thing I think Rumpel can relate to because he spent much of his life being a victim and until he took control, for better or for worse. But to, to, to answer Betsy's question, I think that with all of these other characters, I think they are getting a little overpopulated. Um, with the, another storyline happening in fairy tale land now, the, the kind of the wastelands of fairy tale land, I think they're splitting the story, and it makes it a little bit um, a little bit crowded. So I think that some of the storylines we may like to see have suffered. But there's an interesting thing that um, that Robert Carlyle said not long ago, and I think he said it on the commentary track 
for Skin Deep on the DVD set, on the Once Upon a Time DVDs for season one. And he did a commentary on Skin Deep with Jane Espenson. And I think he said, and it might have been in that, it might have been somewhere else, where he said that, you know, really Rumpelstiltskin should be used fairly sparingly. Um, you don't want to overuse a character like that. And um, if you have Rumpel in smaller doses, it's a more effective way to use that character. Um, we are missing things from, from yes, we are missing things from their storyline. And, and Skin Deep set an incredibly high standard for them. It's a wonderful, beautiful story. And many, many people see that as being their favorite story. And I'm used to having a TV show like House where my character is the main character all the time. And um, it's hard to get used to. But I'm hoping that we'll see more Jane Espenson intimated last week that we will be seeing Rumpel Bell romance. So I will take that at her word. And um, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I do want to go on to our other topic of the day, since we have like 20 minutes left, which is just about right, is our wounded heroes. So um, when I wrote my house book, my chapter on house is called Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. And that does anyone know? where? Do you know where that comes from, Jerry? Carolyn Lamb on Lord Byron. Yes, Carolyn, Lady Carolyn Lamb said that of Lord Byron. And um, House is a very classic Byronic hero. And my chapter in the book really takes House through all of the, it's almost, it's not academic. The writing is not academic. Don't be afraid of buying the book, guys. <laughs> Please buy the book. It's not academic. But I take him through a Byronic analysis and all of the 13 attributes of a Byronic hero, and he fits it perfectly. So it got me to thinking, I've been into these Byronic heroes since I was about 10, and I fell in love with Mr. Spock. And you may think he's an odd choice for a Byronic hero, but I think he is. I think he is. He's a wounded hero. He's, he is uh he is a wounded guy. So I want to ask you, Jerry, so who's on your list of great Byronic heroes? Okay, well, I kind of came to this a tiny bit sideways. Because when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, well, what kind of interests me in the Byronic hero? And how well does it work in various cases? So I thought for me, the one that, of course, really stands out is the one he just talks about is House, because he's so classic. I mean, yeah. he really just embodies the Byronic hero. And I thought they did such a good job with him until, for me, there were a few things that changed in the final seasons that really undercut him as a Byronic hero. Right. For most of it. Because we don't see his woundedness in that last season very much at all. And you would and I think, think he was well, fair. When he was not driven as much by that internal moral code, the trouble with that, then that impacts the charisma element. And I think that the charisma is absolutely essential for the Byronic hero. And I think that we really need to know that there's that internal moral code, which may not come out the way that people around him wish that it would, but we know it's there. Right, right. It's an idiosyncratic um, moral code, but it's very consistent. And I think that's right. I think that it's got to be there. You know, I mean, the, the intelligence, the humor, the isolation, the woundedness, the uh, brokenheartedness, you know, that, those are all part of the Byronic hero. But if you can't see that, you know, when you can't see the charisma and you can't see that moral code, it's just there. And, and you know, somebody just said um, about Spock, she loves Spock, but um, with all I love Spock. <laughs> and uh, yes, and uh, he was my first Byronic hero. Um, but lurking beneath the surface, all those emotions that you, that they try so hard to, to not show. Um, and I agree that Mr. Gold and Rumpelstiltskin are absolutely in that mold. That's why I like him so much. I think. Uh, so who else is? Uh, so so who's so who's on your list besides House, of course? Okay, so House was my idea of a classic one where you really see it working out um, about why this is such an attractive character and why 
so many people do try and write Byronic Heroes. It's not that easy actually to get the right balance with them, but when they work, they really work. Yeah. And then I thought that the reason why I love Supernatural is that I feel like these are Byronic Heroes in the making. We're actually watching these two boys get shaped into what we would later see as a Byronic Hero. We're actually seeing it in action. And mm-hmm. it's repeat. And so um, they were my examples of what, what does it take to make a Byronic Hero and why does that hook us in so much? And I think you know, it's really because it's about the personal cost of having that moral code. And I think that um, with Sam and Dean, we've got the troubled backstory because they, they lose their mother very young and have an emotionally distant and possibly even emotionally abusive father. And um, as they try and take on this sort of hero mantle, which they really have to, it's really thrust upon them that they need to do that, what they found out is as they win the big battles, they lose all the little ones and that they can't save anyone that they love. They can only save the world. Right. Um, right. And that's and so what aspect of they save themselves. They can't save maybe the people they love. Mm-hmm. They and, what, yeah. and I think that creates the wounds which later end up showing um, up for people who don't know them look and think, well, you know, this is very morally gray. I don't know how they can do this. You know, they, they don't really necessarily appear heroic. But the trouble is, is that as you keep losing these personal battles, I think what happens with Sam and Dean, at least, is they learn to accept collateral damage because they have so much collateral damage themselves. So what they used to be horrified at in season one in terms of what they might have to do, in season eight, they take it in stride. And sometimes, like, you know, there are viewers that think, oh, my goodness, like, how can they do that? How do I tell the difference between the heroes and the villains if they're sometimes doing very similar things? Mm-hmm. And I think we watch that actually happen. We watch them make those choices. We watch them get hurt. We watch them change how they looked at collateral damage. Great. Those are my, yeah. So who else? And then my last one is um, it was more one that I feel like is um, not really working yet, but it, that was my Miles Matheson character. And that's the one where they just haven't realized yet what they need to do on that show in order to try and find a center. And it's just clear that the center they need to find is a Byronic hero. Yeah, yeah, they have to figure that out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, again, um, you know, I'm watching Elementary. And, of course, Sherlock Holmes in literature is that. Um, he is, his aloofness. Um, is sometimes overemphasized to make him emotionless and to not see the the emotions beneath the surface at all. Mm-hmm. And I think this version of it is elementary very much. Um, they created a Byronic hero, which is... And I think what, what's nice in elementary to read it as the Byronic hero is I think they're going to give us a little more about what happened besides Irene Adler. Because yep. I think we all know that this is, you know, the great thing in his past that's made him so sad and he's never gotten past. We don't really know what happened to him as a child. And I, I just think that those kind of lifelong issues are so important to know about in a Byronic hero. Oh, what we learned about that this past episode, we learned that his father was never, doesn't care about him. He's supposed to have dinner with Watson. He, he's coming into town to have dinner with Watson and uh, Holmes, and Holmes refuses to go to this dinner. He says, my father's not going to be there. He was never there. He's, you know, and I think I know him at least marginally better than you do. And and there's like a great deal of bitterness in there. Um, and you know that this was a guy who was sent off to public school. And what I mean by public school is like the British public school, not like our public schools, but a private boarding school. Um, at an early age, and, and there's a lot there from his childhood, and we're getting a little bit of that. So you're absolutely right on the money with that. Um, so we are getting that, um, which is what I really, really like about this elementary uh, thing. Okay, so you want to hear mine? I do. So, um, okay, so you're going to laugh at this one. <laughs> <laughs> at it. So there was a show that I used to watch um, many years ago called Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Not the greatest show in the world. But there was something about the character Lee Statson that was was exactly my in my mind's eye. What, uh, Barbara, I used to watch that show. Do you? I did. Did you? Did you? 
Okay, do you see what I'm where I'm going with this though? I totally do. I, I one thing I've noticed just over the years that we've known each other is that we tend to be drawn to very similar type characters. And I was drawn to him as well. When Koryakin girl? <laughs> I was a Koryakin girl all the way. See, and so, you know, there was that vulnerability. There was that woundedness that was there. It was in his eyes. It's either yeah, that you or... need to look below the surface. Yeah. yeah. It's like catnip because you need to find out why they're so sad. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so I thought Lee Stetson. Um, I think that, uh, and and I, I totally think, and I think I already said this, that um, I think Mr. Gold and Rumpelstiltskin definitely fit that extremely well. I'm not sure what his moral code is, um, but I think he has one uh, somewhere. <laughs> but it, he's he's possessed, right? He's under he lives under a curse. Um, but this is a man who is a good father and. Um, but a victim, so who's gotten power, and he's kind of, he's the beast in Beauty and the Beast, but but I think he definitely fits that mold. I think even better, um, Carlyle's just most recent character, right before Once Upon a Time in Stargate Universe, which I've watched, I've been watching, and I've actually been writing um, reviews of every episode, starting with episode one, I think I'm up to episode six. I think I'm up to episode six now um, in writing. And his character is Dr. Nicholas Rush. Have you ever seen Stargate Universe, Jerry? I never have. I did not watch Stargate Atlantis. I did not watch SG-1. They were too lighthearted for me. I tend to like my sci-fi dark and uh, my characters dark. And um, so I never watched those, but I got hooked into Stargate Universe after it was already off the air. Um, and his, he plays Dr. Nicholas Rush is a genius level scientist, physicist or astrophysicist. It's never made a hundred percent clear. Um, but he's a jerk. <laughs> Sound familiar? Um, he's a real jerk. He is, he is brilliant. He is aloof. Um, he is closed off. But we learn fairly early in the series that he wasn't always that way. His wife died of cancer, and while he is this genius who can save the world and save everybody else, he couldn't save his own wife from death, and she died a terrible death uh, and a slow death, and that changed him fundamentally. And his journey through the two seasons, 40 episodes, is... He's the, he is the not, it's an ensemble show, but he is nominally the lead character in the series. Um, and his journey is the most interesting of all of the characters. And he is definitely uh, Byronic. I would say on Torchwood, have you ever watched Torchwood? I haven't. I know about it, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, uh, Captain Jack Harkness, who's the main character in Torchwood, is another one of those guys. He's a little too sure of himself, but you do see that, um, you know, the one thing about Byronic heroes, wounded heroes, is they seem really sure of themselves, but we know they're not. We definitely know they're not. And he's almost a little too sure of himself too often, a little too cocky. But he's a great character as well and definitely has a bit of the Byronic to him. Um I was thinking back to, and even though this isn't TV, these aren't TV, um, uh, Byronics, I was thinking back because Skyfall just opened with uh, Daniel Craig in the lead role of uh, Bond. And thinking back through the Bonds, and, and Ian Fleming wrote um, Bond as a really brooding character, brooding, troubled, haunted character. His wife dies, he gets married, his wife is killed, it's... He's not a happy camper, and he's been played very almost campish too often. Um, but there are actually, and I love Sean Connery as Bond. Um, I grew up with Sean Connery as James Bond. And he didn't quite play him Byronic, but I think Timothy Dalton and Daniel Craig come closest. I think, I think Daniel Craig played a 
with Skyfall, I think that was a wonderful change just in looking into Bond. And yeah. I think at that point, like I would really say, I I can see your point about why there are those strong Byronic qualities, which you I mean you wouldn't have seen that with Roger Moore. Nope. But I think nope. that Skyfall actually was the whole point was to actually go into Bond. Yeah, and you know they tried that with Timothy Dalton um, back in The Living Daylights and License to Kill back in the eighties, and they really tried that with him. And and maybe the times weren't right because he was was it in the role. He was great. Mm-hmm. But maybe we weren't ready for it as a, you know, as a bond-consuming society back then. And it might have been, it's really hard to get all the elements right. I think what Skyfall really managed to do was to have that sort of deeper psychological story and at the same time tipping their hat to all the bond elements people go to bond for so that you didn't feel like you had to choose. And then right. I think the other thing that they had Ace Mahal in Skyfall is Judy Dench. Because I think anything that she does turns to gold, and she could just make everything so meaningful. Yeah, I haven't seen Skyfall yet. I am going to see it. My husband is not a Bond fan, so I kind of have to take (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Um, I saw, um, I haven't seen, I've seen only one of the Pierce Brosnan Bonds. I was a Bond fanatic all growing up. I couldn't wait for the next Bond to come out. Um, I was little. I mean, I was like nine or ten years old when the bonds started coming out, and I was I was bummed when Roger Moore became Bond, and uh, never went to see any of those. Only saw one Pierce Brosnan one, and that was World. The world is not enough, um, which I liked the villain better than I liked the main <laughs> Bond. Can be an issue. Had something to do with the fact that Carlisle played the villain, and mm-hmm. he was more sympathetic to me than Bond was. So you know that that movie isn't going to be a good Bond movie when the villain is somehow more sympathetic than Bond. <laughs> so, um, but so I didn't see any of the Pierce Brosnan ones except for that one, and uh, I saw both of the Dalton ones, and I love Timothy Dalton, but the stories weren't quite there. Um, they hadn't given him. And here you have this great Shakespearean actor playing James Bond. How could you lose? Um, and he brooded. He was great at brooding, but they, he didn't. Have, the script wasn't there. Um, no, but I'm really the material. Hmm? Yeah, you need the material. And I think um, I'm really excited. I've heard nothing but great things about Daniel Craig in Skyfall, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, I'm kind of a take-it-or-leave-it Bond girl, and I thought that I'll go see it because I generally do. It's the first Bond movie I've ever seen where I just say I enjoyed it as a movie. It didn't have to be a Bond movie. That, you know, so I'm hoping that I can um, coerce or cajole or bribe my husband somehow to go skyfall with me because I really want to see that. I was able to cajole him into watching California Solo with me the other night on the screener. So um, he he hasn't been committed as to whether he liked it or not. I did uh, very much liked it. So I want to, um, I do want to put in another plug for that movie because it's coming out a little bit later this month and in December and if you live in a large city, it will probably play the art house circuit. Um, it's an independent film. It's a little low-budget character study. Um, it really is. It's it's an incredible little character study about a washed-up uh, Britpop rocker from the 1990s who's living on a farm in California, um, hasn't been back to the UK for many years because of a tragedy that he had hand in that he blames himself for. And he has a, a final reckoning that uh, I guess the movie itself is sort of his dark night of the soul. And uh, it's so you kind of get plopped right in the middle of his journey and you don't find out too much about him. But um, it's just a really brilliant, brilliant performance uh, by a true master actor and uh, a very nice soundtrack. If you haven't heard Robert Carlyle sing, yes, he can sing and he can play guitar. He can strum a bit. Um, And so he does sing and play his guitar and um, it's kind of a cool movie to see if you're a fan of his or if you're a fan of um, 
good storytelling and independent film. It's not a big blockbuster film, no special effects or anything like that. Just a very quiet little film and well worth the hour and 37 minutes of its running time. So, um, so gosh, we're down to our last five minutes here. So, anything else you're watching these days, Jerry? Um, Arrow, actually. Um, and Arrow is not because it's the sort of thing I'm generally gravitating to, but it comes on right before Supernatural. And because um, we have the new night of Supernatural, I was quite curious about Arrow because that's a really big um, a big gamble that the, the new um, CW had took to, to move Supernatural to that night. So I thought, well, I want to watch Arrow because they're really gambling that they've got a Wednesday night block with this, and I, I want to see how it's doing. So I would say that this is a fun show. And if anybody really does like kind of superhero comic um, characters, it's taken a little bit time to find its feet. It's had a little bit of trouble with a really flat voiceover problem, which they are solving. Um, and it's getting better every episode. So I would give it a um, not really incredibly enthusiastic, but certainly a moderate thumbs up. Great. Um, trying to think if there's anything I'm watching that I haven't talked about at all. Um I, you know, it's it's funny because I've not been a big television watcher, and um, all of a sudden this year, because now I'm really writing a lot of television, um, I'm watching a lot more television than I have in many, many, many years, and uh, I just don't have time. Of course, there's the Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock, which is not on right now, um, but that will hopefully be coming back. Um, soon, and if you haven't seen those, those are worthwhile to catch on uh, Netflix. Um, and Jerry, oh, you asked me, I just saw the email that you sent me about a link to today's show, and I will tell that to everybody. Um, there will be a link up to today's show right here on this uh, um, web space where you are now um, at my blog talk radio, uh, Barbara Barnett profile. It should be up shortly and the links will automatically appear as soon as they're ready on letstalktv.barbarabarnett.com. And uh there's a player on the side of the on the right hand sidebar of the website and you can click on that. But yeah. And then um on iTunes you'll be able to download that as well. So you'll be able to get a copy of this um and download it to to iTunes. Um, this has been a lot of fun. We have to do this again. Let's, you know, I know we talked last time about making this a regular thing. I think that's a great idea. I'm certainly up for it. Great, great. Um, you know, it's like I'm trying to sort of um, balance having uh, Hollywood guests on with just, you know, having this nice space to talk about uh, TV and talk about the shows we're watching. If there's anything that you guys out there listening, either live or on archive, and I'm, as I said, I'm really, it's at the beginning of the show, I'm really gratified that the episodes are getting a 1,000 plus listens each, um, which is really, really so exciting for a brand new show to have really, I think, begun to catch on a little bit. So if there's anything you want us to talk about, want me to talk about, any guests you would like to see me have on, uh, let me know. Drop me a line. Leave me a message. Um, on You can do that, at, do that at my website at letstalktv.barbabarnett.com. There's a little click box at the very bottom right-hand corner. It says, leave me a message. It never has me online. But um, you can leave me a message, and I will be sure to respond to you. And uh, it's this has been fun. Um, and next week I will have uh, more guests in the audience. Again, as I said, it will be Mark Decree. And hopefully if we can work out, I will also have Jesse Schramm in the audience, not in the audience, in the studio as well. And be sure to have good bubbly and roses and all that other stuff. So thank you so much, Jerry, for stopping by. I had fun, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So in the last few seconds of the show, I want to remind you once again to pick up the app at play.google.com, and you can just do a search on Let's Talk TV. 
and you can get the app. It is free to download. It's been downloaded quite a few times already. I'm excited to find out. And uh, please let your friends know that we're here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, I will be possibly adding some specials here and there. And uh, we will see you next time. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.